When Surah Sajda, Surah number 32, Ayah 23. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem, Bismillahi Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. وَلَقَدْ عَتَيْنَا مُوسَ الْكِتَابَ فَلَا تَكُنْ فِي مِرْيَةٍ مِّنْ لِقَائِهِ وَجَعَلْنَاهُ هُدًا لِبَنِي إِسْرَائِهِ وَجَعَلْنَا مِنْهُمْ أَيْمَّةً يَهْدُونَ بِأَمْرِنَا لَمَّا صَبَرُوا وَكَانُوا بِآيَاتِنَا يُقِنُونَ Here Allah subhanahu explains the mission and life of Musa alayhi salatu salam that although he stayed for a long time in Egypt the beginning of his life the first part of his life he was raised in Egypt by the Fir'aun then he left went to Ayub stayed in the desert for 8-10 years and then came back to try and reform Fir'aun and his people and to deliver his people from the Fir'aun. That was the first part of his life. This speaks about the second part of his life which was the reason why he was given Nabuwa and also the Torah. So here Allah says, indeed we had given Musa the book, the revelation, the scripture which is the Torah. Allah subhanahu wa revealed the Torah, as you know, to Musa al-Islam and then the Zabur to Dawood, the Injil to Isa and the Quran to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So Allah is saying, just as we gave Musa the revelation in the form of the Torah فَلَا تَكُنْ فِي مِرْيَةٍ مِنْ لِقَائِهِ You, O Muhammad وسلم, should not be in any doubt about receiving that type of revelation and eventually meeting Musa also. So to join revelation into a revelation that is the duty of a messenger and a Nabi. That they come to confirm each other's scriptures. They don't deny the grace of God upon any one of them. And they know that they will meet each other also as what happened on the night of Isra where they all met together as you know at Bayt al-Maqdis. And we had made this Torah or the revelation a means of guidance for the Banu Israel, the children of Israel, the children of Yaqub and Jacob. This is how we saw the Torah. So the recipients of the Torah, meaning the audience of the Torah, were the Banu Israel, the Hebrews who came from 
Yaqub They were the primary audience. Allah subhanahu gave it to Musa. Musa then taught Harun and then also the people in front of him. And the Torah is a book of guidance. So here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only acknowledges the existence of the Torah, but also the fact that it is a means of guidance for those who read it and those who appropriate it as part of their lives. However, since now we are in the time and era of Muhammad and the only guidance is that of the Quran, the only guidance that needs to be followed for salvation is the guidance in the Quran. And that is how we believe. We then made from amongst them, we made a group of people who were leaders. Who were the people who led others. Yahduna bi amrina. And then they would guide others with our command. Meaning in every religious community, every community that has revelation, there are going to be followers of the Nabi. Likewise, in the Banu Israel, with the Hebrews, there were pious and steadfast people who followed the guidance and instruction of Musa Islam and the Torah, and then they became leaders for their people. This is just a natural cycle of a religious community. You have the Nabi, the Rasul, the Prophet, the Messenger, you have guidance from God in the form of a book or a scripture, and then people read, understand, and they teach, and they lead. But this is all through bi-amrina, that they would be guided through our command, meaning whatever was in the revelation, in the scripture, they would guide people with that and through that, not through any other source of knowledge. Because of what they were able to do in being patient and steadfast. In any community, if you want to lead, you do have to be patient. And you have to remain firm and steadfast upon what it is your belief system is. You have to stick to your guns, as they say, and not move the goalposts. You cannot contextualize revelation because of the needs of the community. That's not how revelation works. Revelation is given from above the historical reality of any community, any society. And then when people follow that, then they remain steadfast. Steadfast and being patient requires that you don't change the goalpost. You don't change the content for the context. That's how you become a leader. If you change the content for the context, then you are a follower. You're not an imam. You're a follower. You're following the people. And you're following the demands of the people. And you're following what's known as the needs of society. This is not sabr in terms of the Quran. And then the next part of the ayah proves that They were firmly established and they firmly believed. They had yaqeen. They firmly believed in our revelations, in our signs. Meaning the scripture. Once you believe this is the truth from God 
and you internalize it, then you rationalize it post-belief. And as you rationalize it post-belief, you will then say to others, this is the truth. And you must come to terms with it. Even though it might be sometimes difficult to come to terms with it. Here we're not talking about dispensing the daily um, uh, pills of fiqh. That's not what we're talking about. Somebody has a problem and uh, the mufti says, maybe you should do this. That is not what we mean. We mean that there are some fundamental principles and what we call usul and the aqidah, the theological facts of any form of guidance, meaning Islamic guidance, they cannot be changed. So you do not compromise with those goals of revelation which have to do with the salvation of the whole community independent of a person's small needs, minor needs on a daily basis. Those may be dispensed, as most of you know, through whatever the Mufti is saying. But the primary goal is to make sure you believe in Allah, you believe that He gives revelation, you believe in the Prophets, and you must believe that they came with revelation, and you believe that there is a day of judgment, and you will be held accountable for everything that you do as an independent individual. These are the proofs of guidance in any community. To disturb that framework, and to try and uproot the whole foundation of that house, that is not allowed. So you do not reconstruct Islam. You don't rethink Islam. You don't revise Islam. Islam's house is so huge and big, and the mansion is so huge and big, that you can live there forever, no matter how many centuries and millenniums come upon human beings. Now you can move a few pieces of furniture here and there, you can decorate one wall this way and that way, you can move a few pictures from this room to another room, but you're not going to tear down the house. What the, the need of the hour is to make sure the, the house stays upright and is not bombed internally by Muslims who say, we need to expand the foundations, we need to reduce the foundations, we need to remove the roof, and we need to break down all the walls. And so that, is, that is not sabr. That's not being steadfast. Steadfast means, this is who you are, this is what you are. I believe in Muhammad wasallam. I believe in the Day of Judgment, I believe in the Quran, I believe in the Five Pillars, and this is what I am, who I am. Then you are steadfast. Then you can guide others. means that you have absolute certainty in whatever Allah has given you as guidance, not what you have thought is guidance. Your guidance is not subjective. It's not something that refers to you because you have to make sure you stay within the ummah, within the house, and then maneuver inside the house and don't get people to leave the house. That would be called rebellion. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ هُوَ يَفْصِلُ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ فِيمَا كَانُوا فِيهِ يَخْتَلِفُونَ Allah then says to the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, that there, there are many forms of uh, differences within the religious community. Some differences are external and some differences are internal. 
as far as the internal differences, they may be accommodated, but as far as the external differences that are outside of Islam, your Lord will decide amongst them, or between them, on the Day of Judgment, in whatever it is that they use to differ. So the Qur'an is uh, alluding to a reality within human beings, that human beings will always differ about issues, and especially religious issues. What is guidance, what is not guidance, what is truth, what is not truth, what is moral, what is not moral, what is just, what is not just. These are all issues and values that human beings have always differed about, and they always argue, because sometimes human beings kill each other because of the differences in these values. Right? Now, who's going to be the judge? So Allah says, he will be the judge. He will judge on the day of judgment, Yawm al-Fasl, the day of judgment, Yafsil. He's going to be the judge. This is right and this is wrong. This is amoral, this is moral. This is the truth, this is falsehood. This is a man, faith, and this is kufr, this is disbelief. Allah will judge. So Rasulullah sallallahu is being appraised here and briefed that we have given you guidance the way we gave Musa guidance. And the way we gave Musa guidance is the same way we gave you guidance. There's no difference there. There's no difference in the process of revelation. Or in revelation itself, in matters of salvation. Not in matters of what's known as subsidiary law. So, within the framework of uh, the constitution, you may have a different opinion. Outside of the framework of constitution, that difference is not tolerated. Right? That is why in U.S. law, it is either constitutional or unconstitutional. So the difference Allah is mentioning here is unconstitutional, not constitutional. So one faqih, one mufti may disagree with another one, that's fine. That's tolerated, and it should be tolerated. One scholar of Islam may say this is allowed, another one may say this is allowed. That is constitutional, like you have the supreme justice system here. One judge may agree and the other judge may dissent. That's tolerated. That's fine. To say that this is un-American or American, that's not tolerated. So likewise, in the religious community today, especially within the Muslim community, Muslims say that this is Islamic because I say so. And I say that we've never had that debate before. Okay. It's a new thing. It's a new bid'ah of the 20th century. Where Muslims come up with ideas and ideals that are totally alien to Islam. Okay. They've never been even seen as remotely tolerated. And now you see in the name of uh, justice or human rights, we want all of those values to be tolerated. So Allah says to Rasulullah that your Lord will decide and judge on the Day of Judgment about those un-Islamic issues, whether they are Islamic or not. Right? Not every difference. Some differences are good. Those that occur within the house, as if you have a family, mashallah, and in the family you have a husband and wife, father and mother, you have siblings, you have sons and daughters, and grandparents and grandchildren. Whatever they differ about, is fine because he's within the house. But God forbid there's someone who's a traitor 
that difference is not tolerated. Nor should it be tolerated. Likewise, in this ummah, there were people from the outset, from the time of Abu Bakr, radiallahu, the, the, who became imposters, and they wanted to uh, be seen as Muslims, but they were not tolerated as Muslims. And this one, Musaylama al-Ghazab, for instance, the first person, who claimed to be a Nabi, and the Muslims said, you're not a Nabi. You're an apostate, you're an imposter. So that is not tolerated. Why? Because that is treason. That is that you're imposing yourself uh, in front of Muslims to be a Muslim and you're not. So that was taken care of ruthlessly by Abu Bakr. Right? And that's not violence. That you're just uh, making sure somebody doesn't come and you know, blow up your house. <laughs> that's called self-defense. Right? That's what leaders do. You defend your own people first. Likewise, there were so many other imposters in the community who were in the community but had ideals that were alien to the community and the Muslims dealt with them. That is not a lack of tolerance. That is defense. Just as in the U.S. today, people who are known as terrorists, they're seen as traitors and they are dealt with. You don't see that, nor should we see that, as being what? Being un- uh, uh, the, the, the U.S. is not tolerating people. Now, the way they do it, now, that's subject to debate. Due process, blah, blah, blah. But the idea that somebody is an imposter and a traitor amongst you, that is never tolerated by any community, any society. Likewise, in the Muslim civilization, we had many people who claim to be Muslims, but they're not Muslim. And we don't tolerate them, nor should we tolerate them, just because they have an idea. Or we have freedom of speech. No, 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 you don't. You cannot say this is Islamic when it's un-Islamic. And who's to decide? Well, we have two. One is that Allah gives guidance to whom? To the messengers. And then through that guidance, Allah creates a community of what? Leaders. To read the ayah. That talks about uh, that we made amongst them leaders who guided people. So this is very clear that through revelation, the purpose is to create a community within the community of leaders who guide through revelation and explain what revelation is. But in that quest to guide others, there will be confrontations. There will be people who say, you're not guiding me. And there will be people who will say, you're not going to be my judge. And then people will say, well, in my opinion, this is not Islam. And this is Islam. So Allah says that they have to be patient. Why are they patient? Because they believe those who don't, then Allah says, he'll take care of them. On the day of judgment. I mean, we won't do too much about it here. Because we don't promote violence per se. But Allah says, your Lord will take care of them on the day of judgment if they're going to preach and promote something that is alien to Islam, alien to guidance, alien to revelation, then God will decide, not only decide, he will judge. And judgment is either one way or the other. You're either guilty or innocent. There's no tolerance in judgment. So this is a warning for those 
who might be on the fringes of Islam, on the fences of Islam, and say maybe Muslims should tolerate this. And the guidance says no. So what do you do? Do you change the content for the context? Or do you say we'll go with the guidance because we believe in the revelation? It's a challenge for the Muslim of today. Well, then, the surah is called sajda. What do you do? You bow down. You submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Had we not guided them, many people before them, and do they not know how many we have destroyed before them? How many generations, Qurun, that they used to walk in their dwellings, in their homes, in their towns and cities, but then we destroyed them, they are no longer here. Indeed, in this, there are many signs. Do they not hear and do they not listen? Allah subhanahu wa saying, that take account of civilizations, societies and people who came before you and you will see that they were also guided but some of them were misguided and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of them also so some of them survived and some of them did not survive you must open your ears and you must open your your eyes to see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gives death to those who did not take heed to the signs in front of them. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّا نُسُوقُ الْمَاءَ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ الْجُرُوزِ فَنُخْرُجُ بِهِ زَرْعًا تَأْكُلُ مِنْهُ الْعَامُهُ وَالْفُسُهُمْ فَلَا يُبْسِرُونَ This is the parable here. This is a method. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using this as an example. That do they not see that we lead water to the earth <clears throat> which is barren. That land is usually dry, and especially after a cold winter, it's barren. And there's nothing there, and nothing will grow there. And then all of a sudden, rain comes, and the water comes down to the earth, and things start to grow. Yeah. Then we produce from there, fodder and crop uh, which is eaten by their cattle. And also they themselves eat from the crop and the produce that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala produces from the rain which came from a long way. Do they not see and observe how this process works? That if you were to say God doesn't do anything in January Apparently in April also, or yesterday it snowed. The land is barren, nothing's going to grow here. You wait a few months or a few weeks and all of a sudden everything's lush, everything's green. How does this happen? So Allah is asking human beings to think of this process. How does Allah bring the rain from afar, all the way from uh, the Gulf Coast, and all the way from the Pacific, all the way from the Atlantic, all the way into Chicago, and the rain comes, and then you see things growing, and people are happy all of a sudden. This is a process. Okay? So now, 
Likewise, revelation is a process. That when you have land, meaning the minds and hearts of human beings, that is barren. And then you want to seek guidance, so then you have to wait. The way it's going to happen is that you read the guidance, let the guidance penetrate in your mind, in your heart, and then you will see the fodder, and you will see the produce, and you will see the fruits from which you will eat and nourish yourself. This is the process that guidance takes, and you must observe this through your mind and appreciate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided for the guidance of all human beings, just as he has provided food for everything that lives. He hasn't deserted anybody. People say, well, I'm confused. So why are you confused? So I don't understand. So why do you ask? So when people answer, I'm still confused. Well, maybe there's something wrong with you. Right? If rain is coming and nothing's growing on your land, then who's the problem? It's not the rain. It's probably the land. You read in the Quran and you're confused. Who's the problem? Definitely not the Quran. You're reading Hadith and you're confused. Who's the problem? So the land must be arable. Uh, it must be ready for irrigation. It must be ready to uh, accept the rain. And then on top of that, it must have the right seed. If in your heart, your seed is, is skepticism and prone to denial and rejection, meaning you're leading towards kufr anyway. You're inclined towards rejecting Islam because of context. Today, in today's world, nothing seems to make sense. So you're already prone to skepticism. So when you read the Quran, you're already in a state of denial. So whose problem is it? It's not the Quran. It's definitely not Islam's. Allah has given you guidance through the rain and comes to you. You must do much more to make sure your mind and your heart is ready to receive the revelation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends. Yeah. Denying revelation is not the answer. It's not denying rain. That is why the Prophet gave us an example that when rain comes down, there are several types of people. One type, he said, is the type of land where the land is just rock. It's just what? Just rock. This is what the Prophet said. What happens when rain comes upon rock? It just comes and goes. Comes and goes. It doesn't retain any water. Another type of land, he says, is that land that takes in the water, it doesn't grow anything, but it allows others to take from it. And the third type, which is the best, is land which retains the water and then yields produce after it accepts the water. And this is the Prophet ﷺ. So when you're reading the Qur'an, and you, you want to make sure your land, your heart, your mind, is already prepped for receiving the nur and the water that comes through revelation, so that you accept what Allah is saying. And that is the purpose of the surah. Hence it is called sajda. You acquiesce at the very least 
you resign and you submit to what Allah is saying, it may not make sense to you. Immediately. After a few years, okay. Now I understand. Because the human mind is not a machine. It's not a, what's it called? A soda dispensing uh, machine that you put a coin in and you get something at the end. It's a process. This is the process Allah is referring to in this ayah. Soon don't they see that revelation and guidance is a process. It's not an event. Now this process may take 20 years for someone. It may take 20 minutes for others. It's on how you cultivate you. If you have cultivated yourself already, then you may be ready in 20 minutes. But if you haven't cultivated you, because you have some issues and problems and concerns and God knows what goes on in in people's minds, it may take you 20 years. That's just the normal process. There's nothing wrong with the book, the revelation. Don't you see? Now, we ask Allah Taala for his fadl, that he guides all of us very quickly, inshallah, all the time. And it is based on this skepticism that the next ayah comes. وَيَقُولُونَ مَتَى هَذَا الْفَتْحُ إِن كُنْتُمْ and they say and they ask you, when will this revelation and opening come? If you are truthful, al-fatihya can mean many things. One is revelation, one is opening, one is that there is victory. Victory of the heart. And also physical victory. That people always ask that when will my questions be answered? When will the opening come? So the opening surah. The Quran is Al-Fatiha. It's already come. Just read it. That's why it's called Al-Fatiha. The opening. It opens you up to everything that you need to know about your worldview, about the cosmos, about reality, about this world, about the world hereafter, about guidance, about God, about you. It opens everything up to you. So those who are in a state of denial or they want to approach reality with an eye of skepticism, they will ask this question. When will this opening come? When will this success and victory come? If you are truthful in what you say about the Quran and revelation in general. Here Allah brings down an ayah which sums everything up, I would say, for everybody. And that is, say, O Muhammad Wasallam, that the day the opening comes, and the day of the opening is a day when those who disbelieve will not benefit with their iman. It will not benefit their iman. Or their iman will not benefit them. Meaning they will still disbelieve. When you already, as I said, stubborn in your mind and you simply don't want to acquiesce or believe in anything Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to you or the signs that he is now revealing to you, then uh, it doesn't matter how many openings come, how many doors open in your mind, in your heart, how many forms of uh, miracles occur in your life, you will be in a state of denial. So signs come to people every day at a very subjective level. These are these signs in the Quran. They're revealed. They are here. You can read them. You can try and understand them. 
and you can try and apply them. But there are other signs within you. As the Quran says, there are signs within you and there are signs outside of you, internal, external. They also call you towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those signs are personal and they are subjective. You must look at them with your lens and say, Allah has given me the sign that he is in control. Allah has given me the sign that he knows what to do for you. Allah has given me the sign that he is your guide and he is your maker and your creator and your provider. So the day of opening here may be subjective to the individual reader. Every reader of the Quran will experience guidance subjectively. And if we understand this, we will see it's always daily. It may come in the form of dreams, it may come in the form of ideas, and it may come in the form of advice from other people, it may come in the form of your world collapsing within you, caving in on you, it may come in the form of openings in other areas of life, it may come in the form of assistance through finding a job, a spouse, or good business, it may come in many forms. They may be positive signs and there may be negative signs. These are all the days of Fatah, the days of opening that the human being must open his eye, his inner eye, to look at. If he does that, then he will be guided. But the Quran says, if those who disbelieve look at these signs, and look at the day of opening, they will not believe. Why? Because they are already stubborn. وَلَاهُمْ يُنْظَرُونَ And then they will not be given any spite, they won't be given any time to repent, when the day of death comes upon them. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is holding the individual reader of the Qur'an responsible for his or her iman and faith and submission to the will of Allah. Everyone who reads the Qur'an, everyone who listens to the Qur'an is equally, independently responsible for their guidance. Guidance came to Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab the people who were close to the Prophet ﷺ, the, the Prophet ﷺ, kith and kin, his own blood, they heard the Qur'an from the Prophet ﷺ. Not only that, they understood every word of the Qur'an as it was being revealed. For them, the Yawm al-Fatih, the day of opening, didn't come because they did not believe, they chose not to believe. They probably understood understood the Arabic of the Qur'an much more than we do today. But that's not the point. The point is not to understand. The point is to believe and accept which is the point of the surah, sajda. When you're in sajda, you believe. You accept. You don't always understand. That is the meaning of submission. And you put your forehead down on the ground and you say, Allah, this is who I am, what I am in front of you. And then you believe and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens many other doors of, of understanding for you, of iman for you. Here, in this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains all of this with the true brilliance and eloquence that the Qur'an is. So then, Allah then gives his final advice to the Prophet sallallahu If they are in a state of disbelief, then you must withdraw from them. You must turn yourself away from them so that they don't do what? 
they don't become a hindrance in your ability to spread the word. If you focus on their denial, then you will not focus on your mission. So you must remain focused on your mission, not on their rejection. This is the game plan for all the prophets, that this is how they behave. Now, this is easier said than done because they're in front of you and people are rejecting you day in and day out and then people are not believing you. And the Quran says, turn yourself away from very difficult. You need a lot of resistance, resilience and patience in order to first of all receive this part of the revelation and then to act upon it. Again, it's about submission. Stay away from them, turn away from them. Don't focus on their denial and rejection. Go to others who may accept. So if someone is rejecting, another person may accept. So go to the people uh, regardless of whether they accept or deny. This is a submission of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, that he submits this command of Allah and as it is difficult as you can perceive. وَانْتَظِرُ And then wait. إِنَّهُمْ مُنْتَظِرُونَ They are also waiting. So they are waiting in suspense for the command of Allah to come against them as they would say the Quraysh Bring on the punishment if you are truthful. And the Prophet ﷺ is waiting in suspense to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is opening the doors of Iman and Hidayah and guidance for his people in Mecca and in Medina. So this is the conclusion of this surah. Uh, this surah, as you know, talks about the um, divine uh, authority in the heavens and how the divine manages his, his, his system and his organization, his order from the heavens to the earth in a millennium therefore the command of Allah to come and go takes a thousand years so there is an order every thousand years according to this surah and it takes time for Muslims to understand how revelation impacts their lives and the best way to, to acquire guidance from revelation is to make sajda knowing is not enough worshipping is more than enough when you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are doing everything that you can to become close to Allah and to bring on his fadl, his grace, his mercy when you are not worshipping Allah and you are understanding then you're deprived of your own fruits. As I mentioned, the rain comes, falls onto your ground. Your ground either accepts it or rejects it. If you accept it, then uh, you will make sajda. That is the fruit of revelation. That makes sense? If you don't make sajda, you don't obey, and you don't do your salat, salam, zakat, and hajj, then it doesn't matter how much you know. And it is to that point that we say that the Quraysh knew the Quran and they would comment on the Quran, they would criticize the Quran and they would condemn the Prophet Muhammad based on the Quran. But they knew it. So knowing is different from obeying. When you obey in the form of sajda, you have encapsulated guidance for you 
then your seed will grow and you'll see the results of your guidance in front of you. But if you don't do that, you don't capture the guidance, you don't encapsulate it, and you reject it, you deny it, or you're in a state of skepticism, then you won't go through any motions except whatever pleases you, or appeases you, or appeases other people around you. It will be a very loose acquiescence to what Islam says you must do. And that is not enough. That's not yaqeen. Yaqeen certainly means that I know when I pray on time, I am okay. I know when I don't lie, I'm okay. I know when I don't cheat, I'm okay. I know that if I lose some money, but I'm honest, I'm okay. I know when I give zakat, I don't lose money. I know when I fast, nothing's going to happen to me. I know when I go for hajj, everything is good. That's your conviction that guidance has to be applied, even though it may not be understood all the time. Today, we wait for understanding before we apply anything. It doesn't work that way. If you did that with anything in life, you wouldn't have a life. I'm sure you don't, all of you don't know how your car works, and I'm quite sure you don't know how this phone works. The smartphone. It's supposed to be smarter than you. That's what's called a smartphone. If you weren't there starting to understand how the smartphone works, you wouldn't use it. Likewise, the Qur'an is the smartest thing that we have in our hands. There's nothing smarter, more intelligent than the Qur'an, the revelation than Muhammad wasallam. Before we say we must understand everything before we apply it, we must think of how that works in the dunya. In the mundane world, it doesn't work that way. Okay? First we apply, we function on the base of application. We don't function on the basis of knowing and understanding. That's just the human way. Human societies are built this way. And they should remain this way. Now, is there a need to understand? Yes, sure there is. Is there a need to know? Yes, that's right. But that's the process. It's a lifelong process. It doesn't happen overnight as these ayat are informing us. We should know about Islam. We should understand Islam. We should know about revelation. We should understand revelation. We should know about how Islam is, etc. But at the same time, we don't forego eh, the application of Islam because we don't understand. That's why obedience is primary and then understanding the reasons behind obedience is secondary. And that is why the devil is the devil. Because he put understanding the rule before obedience. Allah told him to bow down. Adam makes sajda in the context of this surah making sajda that he refused. I'm better than him. Why should I bow down to him? That is his logic. Whereas the angels bowed down. Where they made sense. It didn't matter. So they are honored and revered whereas the devil is cursed. This is the formula for the success of Muslims vis-a-vis Islam. Islam has to be applied, but what do you apply? You apply everything the Prophet ﷺ applied, everything that the Sahaba applied, everything that Tabiun applied, whatever Muslims in the past applied as Islam, you apply. Now, when will you understand why? You come and learn. Will you understand everything? No. Do I understand everything? No. 
Is there any other scholar in the world that understands everything? No. Knowledge continues. That's why you learn more and more every day. So this is the process by which this ummah is going to be successful, is that you follow the people, the lead of people before you, and that is called being the imam, a imma. That this ummah has a imma, imams, that uh, were guided because Allah guided them, because they followed the Quran, the Sunnah, the Sahaba, and because of that we follow them. So following human beings is not un-Islamic, as this chapter is saying. That even in the Bani Israel, they had imams. And Allah confirms that they were guided. And because they were guided, others followed them. Likewise, in this ummah, we have scholars whom we follow because they followed guidance. Not because they're mortals. In this post-modernistic age, we don't like the idea of following human beings for some reason. Except when it comes to fashion, design, technology, stardom, MBA, NFL, whoever. Our heroes. <laughs> These superficial, artificial Bollywood, Hollywood heroes. We follow right, blindly. And that's the life. This is the life. We want to follow them. When it comes to Deen, Islam, religion, God, we don't want to follow anybody. Nobody's God. You're God. You become your own God. Because you don't want to follow anyone. So the Quran says that follow the guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you and look at the other religious community that was given guidance. Which community? The community of the Banu Israel. They were given the Torah. And in that system of organization and command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they followed their leaders. And their leaders became leaders because they followed. Not because they were initiators. Likewise, the cure for this ummah is what was the cure for the beginning of the ummah, and that is that you follow guidance from Allah through the institution of people who know and understand. Where will you get your knowledge from? Is it going to come to you from the heavens? No. When Allah sends down rain, what is the meaning of sending down? And who is the recipient of that revelation? You want to call it revelation, sending down. You have to remain on earth to receive revelation. The land has to be where? Here, so that the rain comes down upon it. If the human being's conscious makes him soar to the heavens to find revelation guidance, he won't find it there because it's not going to be there. It's going to be here. That is the meaning of sajda. Where do you do sajda? On the ground. You have to be grounded if you want to be close to God. And that's what the Prophet said. The closest a human being is to God is when he is in a state of sajda, when he is grounded, not when he's flying high and mighty in the heavens in philosophy and God knows what and say, now I have understood God. No, no, you haven't. Until you make sajda, you haven't found God. The purpose of this surah is finding God through sajda. That's why it's called sajda. That is the cure for the ummah. Along with sajda, then your iman becomes greater. The reason the sahaba had immense knowledge is because they obeyed Allah the most. Amukha, ilma, abarraha, kuluba. 
that they were the most obedient in their hearts and they were the most profound and deep in their knowledge. So the reason why they, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed them was that because their, their, their seeds were so well rooted in their own grounds that uh, they could not be uprooted ever, no matter what happened in the dunya. So my dua is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps us deeply rooted, firmly rooted in our iman and tawheed and gives us the fruit of our iman and tawheed through the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and through the institution of sajda. Ameen ar-Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullah khair. We'll see all of you soon.